The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Right now, get a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer by going to Stamps.com and using the promo code THEGIST. And by Squarespace, the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Squarespace features an easy-to-use interface, beautiful templates, and 24-7 customer support. Right now, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code just at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. It's Wednesday, June 3rd, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You know, I would cook if I just had the time, maybe a good recipe book, a little training. I'd like to. But in this regard, I am no better than the animals. Headline, New York Times, chimpanzees would cook if given the chance, research says. Here, reporter James Gorman explains chimpanzee preferences for cooked over raw food, as discovered by researchers. The chimps preferred the food cooked. They were willing to hold off on eating the raw food and wait for the process of cooking. And they would even take the food from one side of the cage to the other to bring it to the device. This is the kind of cognitive foundation that human ancestors would have needed to start using fire and cooking. So here's what the results found. I went, I read the original experiment. The chimps have the brain power to figure out that cooked food tastes better. And then they employ a variety of strategies to get their food cooked right? They'll put it in something they think is an oven. They'll save food for later for when the oven's on, that sort of thing. Here's what the results really don't find. i quote the New York Times headline again, chimpanzees would cook if given the chance. Who is denying them this chance? The Telegraph, the UK Telegraph, through use of a very telling pronoun, provides the answer, provides the who. Here is the headline of their story. Chimps could cook if we gave them the chance. Yes, us. It's the hominid community aligning against the chimps. It's our fault. Opposable thumb privilege again. How guilty are we supposed to feel oppressing pan-troglodytes? That's their Latin name. These things are troglodytes. Denying them Viking stoves. Yeah, the research does not say that we're not giving them the chance to cook. Let me quote the research, all right? Chimpanzees possess this set of fundamental psychological capacities for cooking. Why do wild chimpanzees not actually cook their food? One obvious reason is that chimpanzees do not control fire, which limits their ability to cook food. Yes, yes, it does. Fire. There was a quest for fire. I saw that movie. There was a weird caveman humping scene. It scarred me a little bit as a kid. Anyway, chimps want cooked food. That doesn't mean they could cook food. That doesn't mean they would cook food if we weren't getting in their way. And even if they did cook food, what letter grade would our health inspectors possibly give them? If you get a C for cold food item held above 41 degrees Fahrenheit, imagine the score for feces liberally flung at wall. So chimps would cook if given the chance. Please, people, people who fail to see any of the Planet of the Apes movies, do not give them the chance. Civilization and your dinner tonight might depend on it. On the show today, I spiel about a famous document that is old, even older than Bernie Sanders' unfortunate writings about gender. But now, singer-songwriter, guitar player, record label owner Mac McCon stops by, he plays a song or two, and then he leaves early to eat in a chimpanzee-owned tapas joint. 
So we're going to pause now from Mac and we're going to talk about stamps.com. Hypothetical. Imagine if the post office were open 24-7. You get your mailing and shipping done on your schedule, especially if you're a small business owner. Well, now you can when you use stamps.com. It'll save you the time and hassle of going to the post office. You don't have to rush there during your busy day. You're running a business, right? You can use your computer and printer and get official U.S. postage for any letter or package, and the mailman will come and pick it up. You could save money with stamps.com too. Get exact postage the instant you need it. Even get special discounts when you can't get them at the post office. Right now, use the promo code THEGIST for a special offer. A no-risk trial, $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's stamps.com and enter the gist. Mac McCon is the impresario behind Merge Records, the front man for Super Chunk. The, I don't know, we could say he's the front man for Port Static, but that was just him. He was really Port Static. Come on. But now he's Mac McCon. His new album is Non Believers. He's here with me. Hey, Mac. How's it going? First, I want to go to you were a solo artist. You still are, but now you're what? Owning the fact that your name is Mac McCon and not some portmanteau of uh, Static and the Port of Sound recording hiding. system. I'm not hiding anymore. You're not bright eyesing it. You're not St. Vincenting it. Nope. What does that get you to come out? I guess it takes 25 years. Yeah. And um, running out of other things to call myself. But you basically figured you couldn't call yourself Portostatic if you weren't playing with those other guys? Well, no. The Portostatic lineup was constantly changing. Yeah. But that started as a very specific thing to be an alternative to Superjunk at the time. So I could make a totally different kind of music. As that, and it kind of served that purpose for a long time. But when I made this record, I don't know, like when it was done, I, I didn't, I felt like to use the Portostatic name would be going back in time a little bit. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to move forward. And I've been enjoying doing solo shows under my own name. I play Super Chunk songs, I play Portostatic songs. And so I figured, let's put out a record under that name and just know that no one will be able to pronounce it, though you did correctly. And uh, no one will be able to spell it either. So. Is this album, and we're going to hear a song right off the bat and then talk more, but is the album confessional or in any way more personal? I mean, how much can we judge from the fact that it is actually a Mac McCon album? That's a good question in that I feel like there's always something of you in the stuff that you're making, but it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's confessional, but I, it, I would say it's drawn from personal memories and experiences and friend, friends I've had and and. Uh, what it was like to be 15 years old in 1982, like that kind of world was a lot of what I was thinking about when I was writing the songs, as well as what it's like to have kids that will soon be teenagers or adolescents and thinking about both of those things at once. So we should say that the sound's going to come out of a really great amp supplied by uh, Slate blogger Ben Mathis Lilly, but a lot of the sound on the album is, I mean, a lot of guitar, obviously a great guitarist, more synthesizers than we have come to expect from some of your other stuff. There, there are a lot, of, a lot of keyboards and synthesizers that I've kind of been accumulating since before I made the first Portostatic record, and to me... Anytime you pick up a new instrument, whether it's just a different guitar than you normally play or something even more foreign to me, like a synthesizer, which I'm not 
a trained <laughs> keyboard player, it makes you write different kinds of songs and gives you it gives you different ideas. And so one thing I love about making records and writing songs that I know aren't going to be super chunk songs is that I can start with any instrument and it just kind of leads you down a road. And the first song on the record, Your Hologram, for instance, started with a keyboard line and a keyboard sound. And that determined that song and also kind of the tone of the rest of the record. And the song I'm going to play now, while it's a very guitar-heavy song on, on the record, kind of started with the idea of a drum machine, having the drum machine be the beat and then just kind of working from there. The song's called uh, Box Batteries, and, and that started again with just a, a machine and then uh, work, working on top of that. Fantastic. All right. Get out to the cliffs Where we could start a fire And you can pretend Yeah, you can pretend to be a witch Dip money in the ashtray Oh, it feels like we're rich We've got box batteries And the cheapest beer there is Hey! That's what we like We don't go that far, no Oh, but we might We've got Box batteries Box batteries Box batteries Now I can see the smoke From the flagstones in the neighborhood Rising up above your hair And your hair looks good We're not so into nature Oh, but we're deep into the woods Bring your tapes and disaffection And the rest is understood The rest is understood what we like We don't go too far No Oh, but we might It's so dark Tell the other kids we bite We don't go that far No Oh, but we might We've got Box batteries Box batteries Box batteries We've got Box batteries Box batteries Box batteries 
All right. Nice. So what was the cheapest beer you could get in 1982 in Durham, North Carolina? There was a beer called Max Beer. No. M-A-X-X. <laughs> okay. Not spelled like my name. No. It had a gold and red can, and it was like $1.99 a uh-huh. six-pack. And when you wrote that, that was the beer you were thinking of, the cheapest yes. beer you could? Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the the album is capturing the spirit of 1982 being 15. And this is a reason that a lot of the songs, I, I don't know if it's a reason, but sure, a lot of the songs are kind of new wavy, kind of post-punk. But of course, at that time in 1982, meant synthesizers. It necessarily meant synthesizers. It was a synthesizer moment. Well, it was a synthesizer moment, which I think that as kind of rock fans and fans of punk rock bands and fans of bands like R.E.M., we certainly resisted the synthesizers to a certain extent, though there was a lot of exposure to it because, you know, MTV was the, the vehicle for bands becoming popular then, and so many of those bands were using synthesizers and a lot of the bands that you heard on college radio as well. So while there was definitely some resistance, certain bands, New Order, for instance, kind of busted through that resistance, and I could resist no more. Yeah, uh, The Cure, were they one? The, the Cure, again, like, you know... the started out as a guitar band, but then they slowly started introducing the synthesizers and they just made such interesting music and such, they wrote great songs. I mean, to me, I think that's what always kind of conquers is great songs. So even if at first you're thinking like, well, I don't like that fake whatever sound, you know, if the song itself kind of works its way into your brain, you're, you know, you're kind of done for. But there's no one so curmudgeonly, so stuck in their ways as a 15-year-old impassioned about music. I mean, I remember saying, oh, Springsteen, yeah, but give me a break, this Prince? Come on, it's dance stuff. I was, Springsteen, right on the Springsteen, wrong on the Prince. Right. No, I, I know what you mean, and it was interesting moving from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I was born, and lived until I was 13, we moved to North Carolina. It was right in the heart of what Prince was starting to get big. Hip-hop was huge, and in South Florida, classic rock was really the, the thing. You know, my first concert was Molly Hatchet. Yeah. Um, and I loved Springsteen. And 38 Special. And, and Right, and... and uh, Leonard Skinner, yeah. These when, are Tallahassee we, and Northern Florida exactly. rock. Yeah. And when we moved to Carolina, for instance, I was the statistician for the basketball team in mm-hmm. junior high. So on the Which, bus, by the way, in the research uh, triangle of North Carolina is basically a godlike position. That basketball is huge. <laughs> and on the bus, to and from games, I mean, hip-hop was what they were listening to, and it was all new to me, and it took some getting used to. And, of course, now I love it, and, you know, those guys were, like, looking towards the future, whereas I was, like, you know, still listening to ACDC, which I also love. But it wasn't, you know, one of the things that this record is about is transitional time periods and in music, in your life, you know, in culture. And that was such a huge moment. And it's doubly huge if you happen to be at this impressionable age when it's all going on, when punk rock is turning into something else, hip-hop is starting to become popular. Like you're saying, Prince, Mm -hmm. you know, like all these things were kind of mind-blowing. And to be at the age to have your mind blown was like, was very exciting. And so while popular music is doing all that, simultaneously you're going to like... you get old enough to go to hardcore shows and, you know, hardcore matinees and things like that. It's just a lot. There's a lot going on. So I, I wasn't exactly trying to cover all that ground on the record, but those were the kind of things I was thinking about. So do you write, are the songs written from the perspective of knowing that you're you now looking back, a lot of past tense and were, or do you, did you ever lyrically 
may, I don't know if you could do this musically, but lyrically say something that you knew was you know, knowingly false or a, a, a naive thing that a kid then would say that you yeah, put bo- in there. Both. Yeah, both. I mean, I think that, you know, I was, I was kind of imagining a pair of kids, really, you know, that were not a romantic couple, but friends who were going through this time period together. Because one thing that's interesting to me when I think about that, and it could be a 14-year-old today, it's how fast everything changes and you and you have these friendships and you have these relationships that are just born out of not being in the the mainstream or not being in like, you know, the popular group of kids at school or whatever. And so you kind of hunker down, whether it's with music or, or, or something else. And then two years later, people go off to college, people get jobs and all of a sudden, you know, but in that moment, it feels like the most important thing is this relationship you have with this person or this relationship you have with this band or this record or whatever, you know. It's something that is always happening for someone, you know. Uh, so I was in some ways looking back and thinking about it from from a remove, but also trying to put myself in that place of those people, you know. All right, so these two characters that you wrote about, are they named in any of the songs? Do they become protagonists or are they just sort of... No, uh... they're, they're, I, I think that the, some of the songs just are looking at that kind of relationship from from different angles. Yeah. And for instance, the song Box Batteries in some ways is a song that you know, you listen to for instance if you're 15 and maybe you have an acoustic guitar, maybe you have an electric guitar but you're still learning how to play it. If you hear a song by Duran Duran, you can't recreate that. Right. You're not your band is not going to sound like that. But you could record a song like Box Batteries if you got a drum machine and you have an electric guitar, like that's the kind of thing. And I was thinking like, well, this is the kind of thing that like you could do on your own in your bedroom with your friends or whatever. So that that's in some ways what I, one of the things I was thinking about. And the fact that I'm still doing that, you know, in my, base, <laughs> in my basement. <laughs> I think rock music can do a lot of things, but what it really does best. And by the way, when we're young, we want it to do everything. But what it does best is convey an emotion. That's, I think, the fundamental... That's the fundamental thing of rock music, maybe even more than any other kind of music. And sometimes when you try to do more than that, I don't know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it becomes a prog rock visionary. and Sometimes it's embarrassing. One reason that I've never really liked talking about or getting super specific about what songs are, quote unquote, about. For one thing, I've never been great at writing songs that are just about one thing, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's hard to talk about. But also, if you never heard someone saying, this is what this song is about, you have your own idea. Yeah. And that's just as valid. Yeah. You, you know, if that, whatever you're getting out of it is just as valid or maybe more valid than when someone's saying, no, no, this is actually what you should be thinking about yeah. when you hear this song. You, you know, know what? If Who'll Stop the Rain, if you think it's about stopping the rain, that's okay. Yeah. If, you, if it reminds you of a rainy day where that song played and it's nothing to do with Vietnam, that works. Well, and, you know, listening to one of our favorite bands at this you know, when we were in high school, for instance, R.E.M., I mean, you had no idea what an R.E.M. song was about. Yeah. But you loved the way the words <laughs> sounded and the guitars and everything, and it was exciting, and it didn't matter really what it was yeah. really about. Birds and snakes and airplanes, I'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Mac McCon is the man. Non-believers is, it turns out, the new album and also his backing group, uh, he's on tour, and the album is out for Merge Records, his own label. Thank you, Mac. Thanks for having me. And guess what? I'm not going to throw it at you now. Got a spiel to get to. But at the end of the show, Mac played another song for us. And we'll put it there. 
There's nothing more hilarious than technology that's out of date. I don't mean an anachronism, but if you want to set a time-traveling movie and you have a guy going back to the past, well, what you're going to want to do is put a character in parachute pants, but really have him futzing with a Betamax or a 2XL. The same with websites, right? So if you ever need to set a movie in the early 90s, have one of those crappy websites with a lot of blinky stuff, the, the song should be the MIDI version of... Break of my stride, let's say, you know, MIDI, it makes Casio seem like the world's greatest piano. So, Squarespace makes your site look professionally designed, even if you're not a professional, even if you have no skill level. It takes the ball, it knows that you're trying to do what you're trying to do either express your innermost thoughts about hippopotamuses or sell some cookware. You're not a website designer. You're the hippopotamus guy. Sorry, I'm not insulting you. I just mean that you love hippopotamuses. So Squarespace includes intuitive and easy-to-use tools. It has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. It's trusted by millions and some of the most respected brands in the world. It starts at $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So do start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it, beautiful. See see how I said that? I was trying to make you sound like the beautiful person because I insulted you about the hippo a second ago. Build it, beautiful. And now the spiel. Oh, sorry. It's just spiel. Breaking news. Well, actually, we're a little late. We're 800 years too late. It is the 800th anniversary. I'll say it. It's the octocentennial of the Magna Carta. June 15th is the date given for the Magna Carta's 800th signing, and now we're less than two weeks before the anniversary. And I'd like to tell you one thing I did not know about the Magna Carta. It's not the Magna Carta. Oh, it's great. It's a charter, but no the. No duh. No, no, no the. It's just Magna Carta. Why? Well, hear me out. According to standard British usage, it's simply referred to as Magna Carta without the definite article. The charter, Magna Carta, was written in Latin in which there are no exact equivalents for an or the. But that doesn't mean we're always getting it right just because it's official, like the National Archives page on Magna Carta is titled The Magna Carta, and the National Archives Museum sells a children's book called the Magna Carta, cornerstone of the Constitution. If you Google, quote, the Magna Carta, you see that Forbes gets it wrong and PR gets it wrong. National Law Review gets it wrong in this article. Why the Wall Street Journal is wrong about the Magna Carta. It's a trick. The Wall Street Journal wasn't wrong because it never said anything about the Magna Carta. Wall Street Journal got it right. The Wall Street Journal got it right. But lots of sources actually do get it right. English ones usually get it right. Of course, the New Yorker does. But also, here is Franklin Delano Roosevelt with a Magna Carta shout-out during his third inaugural. The democratic aspiration is no mere recent phase in human history. It is human history. It permeated the ancient life of early peoples. It blazed anew in the Middle Ages. It was written in Magna Carta. Way to go, FDR. And also, way to go, Magna Carta. Anyone can be mentioned in a presidential inaugural, but not in a third presidential inaugural. That only happened once. As for the document itself, no the, but some interesting words. Here's a quote. If any persons hold from us 
at Fee Farm or in Sockage or Burgage. Sockage and Burgage. Sockage in feudal English property law is a form of land tenure in which the tenant lived on the Lord's land and in return rendered to the Lord a certain agricultural output. This was back when when you say the Lord, you actually meant the Lord, not God. They were a little more explicit about that. By the way, total side note, if the Bible were written today, we'd call God the president, right? The good president. Anyway, burgage means a town, you know, a borough, rental property owned by a king or Lord, not God, Lord. Here's another quote. Night service on the pretext of some small sergeanty held to us by service of rendering us knives or arrows or such like things. By tenure of sergeanty. Sergeanty was a form of land holding in return for some specified service. How do I know it's pronounced sergeanty? I researched it and did not stop on the first YouTube video that purported to tell me how to properly pronounce sergeanty. Listen to this thing. Sergeanty. All of those words, all of the words I've just said, would make for excellent album names for any band that features a mandolin and a glockenspiel. I mean, there is a band out there called You Bred Raptors, question mark. What the hell does that mean? Did they know that the option Sockage and Burgage was out there? That's a much better band name. Well, it is, you guys. Here's another phrase from the Magna Carta. Might not inspire band names. If a man dies owing money to Jews, his wife may have her dower and pay nothing toward the debt. Few references to Jews in there. They were the moneylenders. Here's another phrase. I give these to the bands again. All counties, hundred, wapentakes or try things shall remain at the old rents. Wapentakes, try things. Think towns, forms of towns, boroughs, burgs, hamlets. I suppose I should mention some other things that the Magna Carta, sorry, Magna Carta inspired, uh, inspired codified law. It inspired checks and balances. It inspired government accountability. You know, you can make the case that inspired democracy, inspired three Lil Wayne albums, the Magna Carta 1, the Magna Carta 2, the Magna Carta 3. Sorry, sorry, no the. But I'm more inspired by the latest LP it inspired. You love the first album, Wayneage, and its follow-up, which went gold, Scuttage. But now, the singer-songwriter who records under the moniker Tenure by Sargenty is out with his first live effort. Accordingly, our wish and command, here are all the hits. The above-mentioned people. Should such a thing be procured, deprived, or dispossessed? And of course, the hauntingly original Arrows or the like. And here covers of other famous songs. John Barleycorn Must Die by Traffic. Flowers in Your Hair by the Lumineers. The Decemberists, The Wanting Comes in Waves. And of course, Cisco's The Thong Song. That's Tenure by Sergeant T's new album, Live at Runnymede. While supplies last, people who live outside the forest need not in future appear before the royal justices of the forest and answer to general summonses unless they are actually involved in proceedings or assurities for someone who has been seized by a forest offense. All for not good in Alaska and Hawaii. The Gist is produced. Yes, it actually is produced today by Andrea Salenzi, the returning champion. Her favorite ape cuisine is chicken chimpanzee. Joel Meyer, managing producer, enjoys a chimp mixed drink. It's a lager plus a Guinness plus orange fur, a black and orangutan. Share a growler with a howler. Andy Bowers will occasionally eat ape prepared seafood. He enjoys grilled chimp scampi. It's not made with chimps. It's made by chimps was the slogan that did not move any product. But I'd like to move some tickets here because I'm promoting Mom and Dad Are Fighting, the live show. If you live near the Triangle region, if you don't, you don't know what the Triangle region is. It's, you know, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, that area. Anyway, 
Dan Coyce and Allison Benedict, the host of the Panoply Podcast Network's Mom and Dad Are Fighting, will be there Sunday, June 7th at Motor Co. in Durham. And the evening special guest will be Mac McCon of Super Chunk. He'll talk about indie rock dadhood and the new solo album, Non-Believers. And I'm telling you, there won't be that much overlap with the conversation we have here. And if you're a Slate Plus member, you get a 30% discount on your ticket purchase. So that's Mom and Dad are fighting at Motor Co. in Durham, North Carolina, Sunday, June 7th. For tickets, go to slate.com slash mom and dad live. And now to close out our show, here's Mac again from the Slate Studios with an old Porta Static song, Noisy Night. Underneath the yellow bug light 
Yeah, it's a noisy, noisy night And this whole town's got its mouth open wide Ice down your chin Well, who let these jokers in? Yeah, baby, let's just go for a ride It's a noisy night I'm Karina Kolodny. And I'm Noah Michelson. We're the co-hosts of the HuffPost to Love and Sex podcast. Each week, we start with a single question, and then we look to experts, real-life experiences, and listeners like you to find the answers. Questions like, how can unleashing the power of the clitoris revolutionize the world? Or, what is sex really like after 70? In our May 21st episode, we explore open relationships and what you need to know if you're thinking of leaving monogamy behind. So abandon your inhibitions and download and subscribe to the HuffPost Love and Sex podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. 